Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 Podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. I'm on a caffeine high, so we're good to go. I got Chris Snee next to me. We are giving Josh Newberg a break uh, because I think he probably was going to overdose if he had to do another podcast with me a uh, consecutive week in a row. Uh, filling in for him is Bob Ferrante, who has been kind enough to host us. Hi, Bob. Hey, Bob. <laughs> um, we got a bunch of things to get to today, guys. This is kind of uh, probably my favorite time of the year athletically because uh, you got hoops, Wrapping up, uh, March Madness about to take take off. Baseball, I don't really enjoy baseball that much, like covering it, but I do, and I never cover it, but I do enjoy baseball's existence. Like, it's my favorite sport to attend, even though it's my least favorite to watch. There's just something about, F- especially FSU baseball is cool, and then we got spring football right around the corner. So a lot of stuff to get to, and then we'll take questions from you guys at, at the end. Uh, but let's start off with football. This is basically a, a football town and a football podcast and, and what we've kind of observed so far and heard uh, as FSU begins, quote unquote, the chase, uh, which is its offseason conditioning program. But before that, uh, what was your reaction when you saw Jalen Ramsey tweet uh, Tim Brewster yesterday? I, I woke up to it like at 630 in the morning, laughed out loud and went back to bed. I literally pictured Jalen Ramsey in his locker with his head swagging, just basically saying like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to say what I think. <laughs> so what the is this i was human i mean coaches are mercenaries i don't have some false belief of what coaches are and yeah they're gonna do whatever they have to do to sell themselves to recruits but i just thought it was hilarious that he kind of trampled all over their parade and he was right for, for for context for people that didn't see which if you haven't like where have you been the last day it's, it's a slow time of year but uh, basically, Tim Brewster, who you know, former Florida State assistant, and was really the only guy on the previous staff that like knew how to use Twitter or what a Twitter was, um, and was always kind of I don't want to. He was over the top of his tweets. Uh, it was it was funny, but he was off usually off over the top with it, um, and that kind of carried over to Texas A and M. And so what he tweeted out yesterday. Or was it the day before? But anyways, it was a day. It was the evening before he tweeted out a picture of defensive backs that is going to come play for Jimbo Fisher. These defensive backs will get you in the NFL. And it was pictures of basically all Florida State guys uh, that play defensive back in the pictures of you know, NFL uniforms. So Xavier yeah. Rhodes, Jalen Ramsey, whatever. P.J. Williams. Yep, yep. Oh, uh, there's a ton. Ronald Darby. I mean, the, 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 DB, the DBU is real. Of what they're making. Yes, of what they're making. Um, and Jalen Ramsey did not take kindly to that. Quote tweeted it and said, you know, don't... <laughs> Don't, don't use my image and, and say to me, you know, that give credit at a school that I wasn't even at for a guy who didn't even coach me individually. Yeah, if Pruitt did that or Charles Kelly maybe to some degree, I don't think he would have reacted the same way. But because of who was associated with that picture and what school was associated, mm-hmm. he wasn't having it. Yeah. And J- Jalen's great at not biting his tongue. It's fantastic. Yeah. I agree. Tennessee gets away with that. You know, Pruitt and Charles Kelly can stake a claim. I coach that guy. Texas A&M doesn't have anybody on staff besides Jimbo who's linked to him. And honestly, Jalen Ramsey's only here because of Pruitt. It's not because of Jimbo Fisher. So yeah. it didn't make sense. It was probably something you should clear with some of these guys. Like you should text some of these NFL guys and say, "Hey, is it okay if we do this? Or would you? Are you cool with this?" Yeah. Maybe there should be some communication before the graphics team just kind of tweets. I thought it was hilarious, and I enjoyed like all the people that liked it too, all the Florida State players and stuff. So. Anyways, my whole point of doing this was to try to get Chris uh, angry about Jimbo Fisher, and he didn't I'm buy good. it. So we're, so we're moving on. Let's Me and Josh are not going to react as you expect. Josh will. Josh said he's still here for it. He was. <laughs> I think at one point over the summer when there's the dog days. No, we're not going to go back and do a a twenty part series on the Jimbo Fisher era. Like, I, but we will talk. Uh, maybe maybe get you to, to vent a little bit because I feel like right now Chris is in a weird place. 
No, I'm good. No, you're in the, you're. No, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be covering Willie Taggart in Florida State football. You are. I you am. are. But it's kind of like it reminds me like on the when you go like maybe not the first date but but when you're on a date with a new girl and it's so much better than like the old one. I've done this before. And somehow the old relationships get brought up and, and it's it's fun until you start talking about it for like 20 minutes and realize I think that's where you're at. You don't realize just how bad it was. Anyways, let's I love talk the consistency, how you constantly bring up dating as a comparison to the Jimbo and, and now Taggart. You like this as a relationship. This is, this it is, is your... it, Life is dating. We can tell who at the table has been married for a decade or more and who hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're knee deep in wedding planning and it's starting to not get fun. We got flowers this weekend. We got engagement photos. It's a... Uh, it's it's a stressful time in the Sinone household. Brendan needs a hug through the microphone right now. <laughs> yeah, guys, hug me. Um, the Chase, let's talk about it. Because I, I think, one, it's cool branding, it's different. I mean, first, it, it's off-season conditioning. Previously, under Jimbo Fisher, it was, what, the fourth quarter drills? Yeah. And Bobby Bowden was Matt drills. So, I mean, it's, everyone does this. But it's been cool, to me at least, to, to see how it's showing a, a change in the regimes of, of them being transparent with it, using it as social media to, to kind of build buzz for it. It makes sense. But the thing I think you guys, our listeners, want to want to hear about is what we're hearing so far from it. Um, take away, guys, of what we've heard so far, but it's been pretty positive. I think just to hear that leaders are emerging, you know, young guys are enthusiastic. Um, guys like Alexander Marshall are tweeting things such as, hey, the last staff couldn't get this out of us, but the new guys are. It's... It's really amusing just the response. Tim, Tim Brewster-related subtweet yet, yet again. <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's a fresh start for everybody. I yeah. think that's what a lot of players needed. Is like when you're in a fresh start of a new relationship. I didn't go there. You <laughs> went there. Your mind is in the relationship gutter. Mine is moving forward. It's, we knew this was going to be a cool spring for a lot of guys because you're a veteran. You can't coast through spring. Mm-hmm. Spring has always been about the young guys getting 15 practices, developing all this and that. Now it's about everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody's butt is on a hot seat because I don't think Taggart really came in with preconceived notions of who was going to start, who was going to be a major contributor. But he wants to see you perform, and, and he's lit the fire under a lot of guys. I, I think that's that's been very much needed for this program. I, I think the most impressive thing is that it's high octane. It shows... You know, I mean, Willie's made it abundantly clear since the day he was hired that this offense is going to speed up. FSU's going to play at a much, much higher pace. It's going to be much more competitive and much more doggish on defense. Mm-hmm. I think you see that. Every bit of the clips that we've been able to see is we're doing things fast. We're doing things aggressively. It's competitive. There's mm-hmm. tug of war. There's all these type of things. And the coaches are about it. They're up in the kids' faces. It doesn't matter if you're a freshman or a fifth-year senior. They're treating you the same way. It's kind of like a blank, clean slate for everybody. Let's figure out what we are, what we're going to be, and how we're going to be it. And it's a prep for what they're going to see in the spring. A lot of culture shock shock is about to happen in the spring to this football team. Mm-hmm. It's going to be vastly different. And some guys are going to be lost in the shuffle, and some guys are going to take to it and be much better football players than they were you know, four or six months ago. It's interesting. This is a vetting process, I think, for the coaches to see what they have. I think both of you guys just kind of alluded to that as you're weeding out who's going to adapt and buy into a new culture. Uh, we've heard a lot about you know, internally chemistry. Uh, you see the coaches trying to forge that amongst themselves, spend a lot of time together. You see them trying to forge that among players because that was lacking. That's been clear. Willie Taggart has more or less you know, addressed that and said that on, on record so far that he, you know, it was after signing day. Uh, on the signing day party, he said he saw a team that he didn't think, I'm paraphrasing, they didn't play hard for each other. Yeah. 
Um, and, and that was evident to anyone who watched. So that's what this whole offseason is about. And then in addition to what Chris said, with, with speeding up tempo and trying to fit into this new philosophy of how they want to operate football-wise, we've heard it's more efficient. Like we, from, from players like saying that it's, this is a more, not just more rigorous, but more efficient. We're getting a lot more done in, in the same period of time than we did before. It's kind of the whole name of the game here, but you're looking at what Willie Taggart wants to accomplish at this program. Lethal simplicity is what he's saying. I know that's, that's marketing to an extent, but that is what he's trying to instill so far. Uh, and, and listen, very rarely are you going to hear people saying that off-season workouts are going terribly. We did hear some things kind of come out later that, that la- last year that under you know the, the previous regime that it wasn't going great. Uh, but you know overall, you're going to hear good things. Um, well, I think the biggest difference is last year you had a strength and conditioning coach whose message and voice had fallen deaf on a lot of players' ears for whatever it was, reason. Well, yeah, hard to and call for accountability. When, I think the difference is yeah. this time around, I'm not convinced the strength and conditioning coach cares if his voice falls deaf on you. If it falls deaf on you, you're not going to be part of this program. They're going to weed out a fat that doesn't need to be on the bone. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's talk about weeding out. And not all these guys that we're going to mention for attrition have been weeded out per right. se, but but that's going to happen organically. And some of it's going to be because you're getting pushed harder and you don't want to be part of it. Some of just you just don't want to be part of the new transition, and that happens too. Uh, and it happens at different times. But but we've seen so far. Uh, either reported or confirmed, uh, J.J. Cosentino, quarterback, not a huge shock. He's a guy who graduated already uh, and just was fourth on the depth chart as a rising fifth-year senior. Uh, so he's gone. Offensive line, I think it's interesting you've seen most of the attrition happen there. Uh, Brock Rubel said he was going to transfer. That was before a new coach was was announced, but but you've seen when since the new guys have come in, David Robbins, uh, Ethan Frith, and now Andrew Baselli. So that's three. Uh, Baselli, like mind you, and Frith were at both points, like working with the first team offense at, at some point or another in the spring or in the camp uh, kind of setting. So they were under the previous regime, um, guys that, that were at least expected to contribute to, to an extent or be a role player or something like that. Well, real quick on that point, Frith quit because he was forced to do something to make up for falling short of his responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Straight up quit. I mean, you don't want that guy on your football team. Yeah, we used to call and those then, in high school opportunities to improve yeah, OTIs, and, and that's when you were used but to But from what I understand, <laughs> basically walked away because he's not sure he loves football. Yeah. Which, more power to him. But you want to get rid of that. Like, mm-hmm. it, it stinks to have less depth, but you don't need depth that's not going to help you. Uh, and one thing we talked about this before was the, the allocation of the offensive line. They invested a ton of scholarships to that position, more so than I think most programs do. And Jimbo Fisher had talked about that. And it didn't always – it made sense in theory, but in practice, man, like they would just – they would load up every other class or every two classes, and it just would would create this weird vacuum of, of development yeah. and, and just not a good situation. You can't go seven one year, one next. You yeah. need to do four, four. four Which four, is what four, I think they're trying develop to Develop and figure it out and, you know. Build a build a line that has consistent depth built across mm-hmm. multiple classes instead of let's have a boatload of redshirt freshmen and freshmen, mm-hmm. no sophomores, very few juniors and seniors. So we're making this huge jump from the guys we trust to the guys that we now have to figure out who the hell they are. It it it's a it paints a very clear picture that previous regime led by Rick Trickett at that position did a very poor job of building up that position. Yeah, yeah. It's funny they went from being. Let's see, get my context is so much different because I came in 2013 and that offensive line was obviously coming, you know, with what they had in 13 and they had some issues in 14, but ended up finishing pretty strong. But 15, 16, 17, there just was not any legitimate progress that you could see uh, across the board. It, it, I mean, who who legitimately is significantly better 
now than they were two or three years ago. It just it, right. it didn't happen. It was just a mess. Uh, Chris, you've alluded to this before that the scheme and, and the recruiting kind of didn't mesh. Where there was a not a tug of war with with power, but just it didn't seem like everyone was on the same page between Trickett and Jimbo Fisher. And it just it was a mess. It it was not well orchestrated. Uh, so the offensive line is something that I think has been interesting to see that guys are kind of leaving from from that old mold. Uh, one guy, as long as we're talking about the offensive line and the chase, you know, when, when FSU and you could follow the, the on their official Twitter, they put out the videos and, and whatnot with coaches talking. It'd be really cool for us to go and see a couple of those in person, but that's another story for, for later. Um, Cole Minshew, do you guys, I forget which one of there was a picture of him doing like a long jump kind of deal. That dude's lost some weight. He looks good. So it's funny to see that just in that short little microcosm there, guys that are buying in. You can already see the results. There's a picture of Brian Burns. Like, his biceps look huge. Like, it's, again, a small window, but I uh, I think we're starting to see some some early results. Yeah, and Burns is a guy that you wrote the piece about emerging leaders, and he's a guy that was specifically mentioned to us. Mm-hmm. Joining the ranks of, you know, Patrick, who we knew was a leader. Cam Akers, who I think is clearly ready to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Last year's leadership left a lot to be desired. Oh. It seems like this year there's going to be a better amount of vocal guys who kind of lead by example. Like, there was lead by example with Derek Naughty last year. He just wasn't very vocal. You, you need the blend. Yeah, of, and Derwin okay. was a vocal guy, but at the same time, Derwin was prepping for the NFL jump, and yeah. it was clear to everybody. Well, so, it was it Jacob Pugh said when I talked to him at the yeah. East West? He said it was like the blind leading the blind. He's yeah. like, there just wasn't anyone. And it was cool cool for him. I know some people didn't like it, but like he at least admitted like that. Not that's not who I am. That's fine. You don't have to be, but there needs to be someone on the roster to your, do that. Your coach can yell at you all day, but if your teammate brings it up to you, you're going to listen. Telvin Smith, so. LaMarcus Joyner were prime examples of, of those kind of – yeah. yeah. Um, so we're, we're seeing very early on here some, I, I think, what are positive signs. Uh, again, honeymoon phase, we're still in that role, but it seems like guys that are buying in are legitimately buying in, and, and that should be encouraging. Uh, oh, other attrition, uh, Darvin Taylor. Mm-hmm. Shoulder. Attack, uh, I mean, the same shoulders bothered him forever, and that, that sucks for him because he's a guy who actually you know, flashed, I think, at practice when he looked good at us, who the previous staff had a lot of... Uh, a lot of encouraging things to say about him, but and just a good dude too. I know Chris, you covered him pretty closely. Yeah, nice um, kid, nice family. Is that it for the attrition? Am I missing anyone? I, I can't think of any. Man, how pissed off is Maven Saunders for for transfer? <laughs> and force they could have used a tight end, somebody with yeah. experience. I mean, with Izzo leaving and now Maven transferring. Yes, there's a lot of optimism about what Trey McKitty can bring to the table, but you would have loved to have a veteran guy, somebody with some some good blocking chops, who you know is gonna fit in really well he would have been perfect for their what they're trying to accomplish but yeah some guys are damaged good so and i think to some degree maven and garnering gold had become damaged because of the way he dealt with the coaching staff they it was a constant yelling match with him about him underwhelming in practice and not doing what is expected of him and even though there was a coaching change i'm not sure in the short span he had left here that it would have tipped i'm very excited about trey mckitty i think mckitty fits what Willie and company are going to do offensively mm-hmm. more so than the previous regime. Yeah. So, and knowing Trey a little bit, knowing how much he, he likes football, he's a guy that he's going to take to it. You ask him to, you know, run harder in the chase, he's going to run harder. He's that type of mentality. So I'm excited to see how he uh, takes to it in the spring. I'm excited about the spring. I mean, I think it's mm-hmm. going to be a discombobulated mess offensively. They're going to be trying to figure out what the heck they're doing, and it's probably with only have, what three or four wide receivers yeah, available. And, and an offensive line that's very much in a transition. It's not going to look pretty most of the time, but the moments it clicks, and when you see some of the flashes of what they're trying to do, and some offensive talent used in different ways. Mm-hmm. Hello, Mister LeBourne. Um, I, I'm 
I'm looking forward to that. Like, I'm not expecting the end of the spring to be like, oh, man, they look great. They're going to compete for something great. I expect it to be, man, they're still, they got a lot to do. August is a very important month. But I'm excited about seeing what guys kind of take to what's being asked of them and what guys kind of come out of the shell to be better players. Trey McKitty, Laybourne, uh, you know, DJ Matthews, hey, yeah. nice to see you on the field. You know, those kind of guys, I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to bring to the table. And defensively, you know, there's still a ton of talent on that side of the ball. I'm hoping to see a little bit different mentality, a little less confusion. I don't think defense will take as long to learn the new stuff as the offense mm-hmm. will take. No, I, I, I agree. And that's typically uh, the, how that works case, yeah. anyways. Defense you know, is almost always ahead of offense. Almost always. Uh, and any coach will tell you, if it's ever early on and the defense isn't ahead of the offense significantly, then you should be scared of you know, workshopping this right now. I got an idea for a podcast down the road that we can do that doesn't really just just completely uh, hit on Chris's desire to not talk about Jimbo Fisher. We talk about like the ten most inexplicable uh, circumstances and under the previous regime, like a DJ Matthews, a Kalen Labore, and Josh uh, maybe Saunders. Josh there's, Brown never seen the field. For there's a bunch. Years. Let's save yeah. it. We're gonna do it another time. That'll be fun though. It'll kind of do a little bit of what I want to do, a little bit what you secretly want to do. You sort of want to do a what the hell were they thinking kind of just podcast. stuff that just doesn't in hindsight didn't make sense. Like at the time, maybe you could try to explain it away, but now looking at the complete end result with with just a fresh set of eyes, yeah, exactly. What the hell were they thinking? Anyways, uh, let's finish off uh, football talk. <laughs> Let's finish off. Sorry, I'm sporadic. Uh, football talk with the combine that's coming up. Uh, I think we're recording this on a Wednesday. Big dudes start bench pressing on Thursday. Yeah. So, uh, Bob, you started writing about some of the offensive players and combine guys to watch. Uh, what do we have on deck for the next week? What are people looking to watch for? I think there's a lot of guys in the middle rounds who really have an opportunity to take a jump and to make an impression. I'm really curious to see what Auden Tate is going to do. Auden's a guy who, if he passes the shoulder medical, that guy could be taken in the second round easily. I, I saw a mock draft that had him in the first. Not a legitimate one, but I saw a mock draft that had him in the first. It doesn't seem to be a great receiver draft. I, no. I'm not as much of a draft guy as you two are, but a little bit I've read, keeping up with guys like Josh Norris, other guys who I really enjoy in the process. Receiver seems like a position where there's very few defined, like this guy's at the top of the mm-hmm. board. One thing I've heard consistently with Auden is he needs to run well. Yeah. What, what do you think? Like I was talking about this with someone on the board. Like what? What run well means, and I think at six five and in, in his frame, I think if he hits in the four sixes, like that's good. Ten yards split's probably more yeah, important more than important, even yeah. the overall forty, as long as the forty's not bad. But if he shows a little get off on the line, mm-hmm. and that he can kind of get the motor running quick off the line, I think that's pretty if, important. If, for him. If, if that dude can crack four five, that is size and the good film that he has. I know there's not a ton of it, but but the the positive film that he has, like that that could be a you know propeller for yeah, for John. The but, good thing for Auden is I think he'll check a lot of boxes. I think he has a very football based mind. He's going to do well on the whiteboard. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be very good in interviews. When you do background on him, he's going to come up clean. So I think he's good in those regards. I think athleticism is the biggest question mark going in and health. And if he can check those two boxes, his stock will rise. Let's do. Let's go down. I think this. Let's go down player by player what okay. we're looking for. I think that's fun. We don't have to take too long on it. But so that's Auden Tate is one out of nine that are going to be at the combine, which I think is the third most of any team. I think they're tied for the third. They're tied most, for those. Yeah. They went seven and six with nine guys going to the combine. That's not very good. Uh, Rick Leonard, let's go with X offensive linemen are going first. Uh, which I think when Bob wrote about offensive linemen, people were pissed that they started off with Rick Leonard because you know. I felt were, awkward starting the series with Rick, but he's but the I first one like in line. He was we're the going first down one in line. He's such a project. I mean, let's just start there. He's got two years of experience. Can you draft him? And this is me being maybe a little bit pie in the sky, but. 
can you draft him in the seventh round and say, look, we've got a good offensive line coach, we're going to stash him on a practice squad and just see how it goes for a couple months. I think he could be a guy who, as you have injuries through an NFL season, you might say, hey, can we plug him at right tackle? Could he play guard? You need to have versatility on the offensive line with the small rosters. I think Rick is a guy who you're looking at year three on the offensive line. There's some potential there. He hasn't shown a ton in year one. 2016 was bad early on, really bad. 2017 got a lot better, significantly better. Can he make another jump like that? He he was the best, the most consistent lineman on a not-so-great line, uh, I thought. And the PFF metric kind of showed that. You could take whether you want to believe that or not into account, but... I thought he looked better. He looked much more comfortable. He looked good at the end of 2016. It was against Taco Charlton. He he handled him pretty well, much more than than Rod Johnson did. So yeah, he's a guy that probably has some upside. Um, but I don't know if I would. I don't know if he gets drafted. I I think it would be nuts for a team to draft him. Yeah. He's the kind of guy that if you're intrigued by him, do him as an undrafted free agent. But spending one of those valuable limited picks mm-hmm. you have on him, nah. No, he'll, he'll he'll land somewhere, but I don't think as a draft. Pick. Yeah, he'll get a camp look. We'll see if he latches on via camp. It would be good for him if he gets a good O-line coach and has a little time to kind of just sit back and learn, put him behind somebody who's a talented player in the league and give him a chance to learn for a year. Rick might have potential to do something, but short-term, no. I'm going to put Rick Leonard down on a possible topic for 10 things that just didn't make any freaking sense. Moving him away from defensive end, which I thought he actually flashed if a little you were gonna, bit at. Uh, short-term. If you're going to do it, should have do done it the day he yeah. walks on campus. Not Don't wait through. for two years into his career. And part of that was his reluctance, too, now. Yes, yes. So it's, it goes you're, both ways. You're the grown-ass adult as a football coach. Yeah. You, sure. You, may, you push a button. Cameron Irving, correct me, I mean, that's an example of a guy that, that really worked out to make that move at the college level. Was that after his redshirt freshman season? I can't remember off the top of my head. Because he played he defensive. Was, he came in as a defensive tackle out of Moultrie. He was left tackle for one year in 2012. 12. Uh, and, and he left at 14. 13, I can't, 14. I'm sorry, it's not, this is not good he three conversation. Years. He had um, more time than Rick did to okay, position yes. at FSU, though. That, put that, yeah, yeah. Let's put that on the list. We'll, we'll flesh that out later. Um, going down the list, who else do we have? Wide receiver went with Auden Tate. Tight end Ryan Izzo. That was a guy that FSU really wanted to keep. Uh, Bob alluded to the tight end position a little bit earlier. Uh, there, Chris mentioned Trey McKitty being the guy they're excited about. But, man, getting Izzo back would have been nice just because what he brings to the table. He's a guy that really I don't feel like was utilized properly under the previous staff, and he's going to probably get drafted higher because it's a really poopy tight end class. I'm trying not to swear and be more professional. Um, It's not a good tight end class. I think his value is going to be higher amongst NFL teams than than what you're going to see versus his college production. The current staff thought he was a much better pass catcher than he ever showed in his career at FSU. Yeah, I mean, because he probably, he he was naturally a pass catcher coming in. He was used so much as a blocker that it neutralized him as the ability to get downfield and do something with it. Yep. Um, Like, he's a guy who could go in the middle, like, fourth or fifth round. Like, it's not a good tight end draft, and he's a good tight end. Like, I mean, that's, it's as simple as that. Like, if you have a need at that position... He's going to get drafted. I'm not sure where, but but I think and in, in maybe the the middle makes sense. He'll win people over with his willingness to stick his nose in there and do something, mm-hmm. and his added ability of also being a capable pass catcher. He's not fleet of foot. He doesn't get down the field great. He's a little clunky, but yeah, yeah it's tight end. You need a guy that can do stuff in the soft middle zone and who mm-hmm. can also block at the line of scrimmage. He can do those two things. One thing that'll help him, and this is kind of, I think, getting further and further away from the way the NFL is going, but but he did do a lot of pro-style stuff and a lot of blocking uh, under the previous staff. Um, I think that probably helps him a little bit to show that he can consistently block. You don't have any questions about that. 
Uh, moving on, let's switch to defensive side, and that's where most of the talent, I think, resides, which is, you know, again, why being a top 20 defense probably wasn't acceptable this year. Uh, Derek Nottie at defensive tackle. I'm looking forward to see the bench press, what he can do at 225. I don't think Derek's stock changes with the combine. Uh, I think he's a, you know, at best late second round, probably more likely a fourth round type guy. But, man, I think he's going to be a good pro. He's, he What he does is he does it very well, just yeah. stop the run. Um, now that's limited. We've seen that a lot in the last couple of years. NFL teams are wanting defensive tackles that are a little more athletic uh, and can get to the quarterback. That's kind of the name of the game. So I think you're right, Chris, that does cap off his, his value a little bit. Uh, the only thing that really hurts him is, I, I mean, I don't know if he's going to do the bench press or not, if he's going to wait to pro. If he goes in and doesn't do what you're expecting, we've seen videos of him throwing up 525. If he... If his game is predicated on strength and he doesn't show good strength, that may give people some concern or at least cause him to go back and reevaluate that that position. But, yeah, I think second or third round pick makes sense, and he's a guy that, that probably plays in the NFL for 10 years. Like, that's probably what you're getting. He's really, really professional, a good worker. You mentioned him earlier, Chris. is a guy who led by example. You know what you're getting. Uh, and I think he's going to – I forgot who one evaluator said there's no – I wish I could give them proper credit. They were looking at his tape. And they said there's no quote unquote bad film out there. Right. Like there's just like you just don't look at him. There's not a bad game. There's not a game in his career where I can honestly say, man, he just laid an egg. No, Louisville game when we had the sprint, the ankle sprain felt little. Uh, 2016 would be the only gap that I could think of. That's he could not, barely walk. Though. That's not a fair. I remember. Uh, I, I think it was the next week was USF right after Louisville, and I remember watching him walk from the locker room to the bus, yeah. and it was like a man completely gimpy. The fact he was on, playing and he on played it. on it. So. Yeah, I, I'm not going to fault Derek on anything. Uh, let's move to, to Josh Sweat. Bob, I'll let you take that because you're like the uh, – there's some guys you just get stuck being the beat writer of, special teams, Josh Sweat, uh, James Blackman. All eyes on Josh Sweat's medical, as as obvious with that knee. And I think we've written about it enough, but worth reminding, he almost lost that knee. It was a dislocated knee. It was an ACL. Mm-hmm. Um, the doctors were worried about nerve damage. You know, that's the fact that he was able to play – and not redshirt, year one. He's out on the practice field the first day of practice, August 2015. I think I'm still surprised by that more than just about anything else that I've, I've seen in the last couple of years. Yeah, there are always going to be questions about what, what would have happened if he had redshirt, what would have happened if he hadn't pushed so hard, if he hadn't played. Mm-hmm. But dude wasn't going to be stopped. He pushed himself through that rehab. And, you know, we'll see what the knee comes back as. I, I still have some some real questions about what he can do in his NFL career. Mm-hmm. But when he plays, he stops the run, instincts. He does get to the quarterback a surprising amount for a guy who doesn't have get-off mm-hmm. as a defensive end. I think it's a question of how much of a risk are you willing to take. Mm-hmm. He doesn't feel like a second or third round to me, maybe more in that fourth to fifth round, depending on what you see when you have that medical. I'm kind of in the same boat with you. I think a little bit later the issue is, you, know, you could be a defensive tackle and be really good at stopping the run and not, you know, great at rushing the passer like Derek Naughty, and, and that's fine. That, if you're a two-down guy, it's tough at defensive end to not be great at rushing the passer. And 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 Josh Sweat never really quite hit the what what people thought he could be, and a lot of that I think was with the knee injury. And he credit to him, he really uh, morphed uh, what what people thought he was going to be. He got stronger and, and was a really good edge setter. I'm just not sure exactly what he is at the next level. And, and you know, sometimes you can be a tweener in a good way. Um, that's that's more it's more accepted now for defenses to find those kind of hybrid guys. If, if, if it's a good attribute, it's a hybrid. If it's bad, you're a tweener. 
I think he kind of falls more in, in the tweener, but but we'll see. Uh, let's go down to linebackers now. There's two of them: Matthew Thomas, Jacob Pugh. Uh, you know, a story of two guys of of not hitting their potential. I think, right, man. So so I think for both of them, they have a lot of questions to answer when they have the interviews with NFL teams. And I saw a little bit of that. Yeah, the East West Shrine game. Both of them spent extra time talking to to scouts because you see the physical tools and then you see the production. And that opens up a lot of questions. Matt's a good athlete, so it's going to be interesting. I think he's a guy that combine can help from the sense of athletic check marks. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, he has so many such a checkered pass with so many things, transgressions off the field, suspensions. It's going to be tough. He's going to be one of those guys that when teams discuss it, it's going to really come down to: Are we concerned about his you know missteps, or are we simply drafting a guy because he's athletic and fairly talented and probably capable of being a better player in the pros than he ever really was in college? Um, so I'm interested with that, how teams kind of balance it, what teams kind of, you know, take to them. And with Pew, I mean, I feel like Pew's almost a virtual unknown to a lot of people, which I hate because I think he's a very talented guy mm-hmm. who's capable of a lot, but there's not a ton of film because of the limited snaps he got. Athletically, he's not freakish, but he is a big dude who's fairly good athlete, so he can still kind of impress in that regard. Um, it's, but it's I, weird that he Pugh's got a, fighting an uphill battle, in my opinion. He got an invite to the combine, which is kind of... It's interesting. It shows that people yeah, see what you, you that some NFL people are intrigued enough to get him there to see what yeah. you see. Pew is a guy who pew, pew. this process is probably more important to him than anybody else outside of Auden Tate as mm-hmm. far as improving capable of stock. I, I think so. He has to. He can afford any missteps across right. for the next you know, month and a half. Whenever he, uh, draft in late April comes around, he has to. Test well. He has to interview well. I think Matthew Thomas, to a certain extent, obviously the production is much better. Um, the thing with Matthew is he never looked super natural at inside linebacker. Uh, it didn't seem like his strength. And we've seen some. I think it's like Lance uh, Lance Sterling. I'm not going to pronounce the name last name. With NFL.com evaluator mentioned that in his write up of him, and I and I was like, I hate that. That's what I saw too. Was when he was clicking and, and confident, like he would go and stick his nose in there and did a lot of things you want to do as a linebacker, long, rangy, Chris said, really good athlete. Uh, when he wasn't confident, he would just look lost, really, really lost. Um, and that's tough to be in the middle of the field. And, and part of me thinks, yeah, they put that on the, the what were they thinking? I, I always feel like his he was his most comfortable on the edge where he could just react. Yep. Go get the ball. Yeah, go get the ball. And uh, and that's what he did in high school. That's what he did uh, when he was like a Pop Warner legend down there or a you know, youth football legend. Uh, and that never really materialized. Again, I think they tried to make him something that he wasn't, partially out of necessity because the linebacker recruiting was so porous. Uh, but here we are, you know, talking about him maybe being a late round draft pick when he was, I think, in between Jalen Smith, who was probably going to be first round pick if he didn't blow out his knee, and Jonathan Allen coming out in, in the linebacker class in 2013. And both those guys were second round picks, I believe, or first round was yeah. Jonathan Allen. But, anyways, uh, failed potential, I feel like, for those guys at linebacker and have a lot to. To accomplish in the next week or so. Uh, let's move to defensive back. We have Tavares McFadden. Uh, that's another guy with you know, potential. Um, be interesting. He, he was a guy that started off in, was it first round, second round grade? Yeah, what we saw a lot in the beginning of the year. I don't know where he's at now. Which T-Mac are you going to get? Which, yeah. which guy are you going to draft? Is it the 2016, I'm dialed in, I'm, I'm going to get the interceptions, I'm going to make plays? Or is it the 2017, I'm checked out, I'm not really in it, I don't want to tackle? Um, yeah, I, T-Mac has everything you're looking for in a corner. He really, really does. He's got the frame, the height, the length, the athleticism. I think under the right coach and the right staff, and we always say that about draft picks, 
But again, with him in particular, the right guy coaching him, who can get through to him, I'm not going to take a chance on T-Mac in the first round. No. Definitely not in the second round to me. But around the third round, I'm thinking, okay, I really, really like this guy. Mm-hmm. I, I'm ready to take a shot on him. And the NFL likes those lengthy press corners. Yeah. Um, that, that's become very popular. You see, like, the Seahawks kind of made that, you know, with Richard Sherman kind of in vogue a couple of years ago, and that's, that's highly valued. But, yeah, I mean, did he, not have, did he have an interception this year? Did he have one interception? I thought he had one. I processed last season. Don't you know that? <laughs> uh, I believe he had at least one. But I can't remember I, I, for sure. I'll, I'll call uh, to go from to go from eight to one or eight to zero is pretty. I quit paying crazy. attention around mid October. Let's be honest. Um, my take on T Mac is pretty simple. Talented as hell. Very mm-hmm. smart dude. Like I always enjoyed interviewing presence. him. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a smart guy. He knows football. He knows what he's doing. He has actually a very good work ethic. Mm-hmm. But man, he's got to explain away the film. Flasher. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that's the thing with him is like. Somebody's going to sit down who's about to invest a lot of money in him and ask zero interceptions. Bob, Bob was giving Bob us the zero. Zero. Eight. He led the NCAA and then went from zero. And it wasn't they were really avoiding him either. No. Well, he did have 10 pass breakups, uh, which is substantial. But, yeah. You know. I, I just think he's going to have to convince people that they should invest in him. There's a lot of reasons, too. Long arms, good athleticism, willing to be physical. Not always the most impressive physical guy, but he has a capability of being physical. Um, but man, 2017 film's gonna bite him in the ass. <laughs> no, I to put it plain and simple, it is. Uh, you're gonna watch 2016 film and be like, Oh, I like this kid, he makes big plays, he'll get beat here and there, but he can do things. Or watch mm-hmm. 27 and be like, Where the hell did he go? Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's you're basing off of potential at that point. But I think I think he will do well at the combine. Strength numbers will be a mixed bag for him, but on the field in the workout portion, I think he'll do very curious well. Curious to see what like the the arm length or wingspan is going to be, stuff like that. Yeah, it'll be interesting because that's going to you know intrigue some people. I think uh, Derwin James. Uh, I don't know how much there is to, to go over there. That's the, one of the top prospects in the draft. Uh, he plays safety, so I wonder if that diminishes his value. Some, my guess is still top 10 pick. If he goes out and does what you think he can do at the combine and t- turns in freaky numbers, uh, and listen, he's one of the, he's definitely one of the top 10 best players in the draft, regardless of position, probably top five. Uh, and he's the guy, as long as he stays healthy, I don't see how he doesn't play in the NFL for 10 years. Like, it just, just, he's, he's really good. There's a lot of projections that have him to the 49ers at, I believe, number nine. nine they're doing a coin, a coin flip to, to John Lynch it. is a smart man who loves defensive players. His drafting uh, it, last it year was perfect sense to me. incredible. John, I'm sorry, yeah. I get excited over. I'm, I do a GM league where we mock an entire offseason and I'm the 49ers. So if I'm, if I'm, if Derwin James is there when I'm picking at nine or 10, damn Skippy. Yeah. I just have to hope Wayne McGahee isn't listening to this because he's in the league too. He'll drive the value up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's that's uh, that's the NFL Combine. Uh, that'll go through. like The interesting stuff kind of starts the second with the timing, the testing, and that's uh, March 2nd. It's a Friday, and it goes into the 5th. What is that? A, a Monday. Monday. So yeah, over the weekend, I think the coverage is the NFL Network, guys. Uh, we'll have you covered on, on our side too. Uh, I'm doing wedding stuff as as alluded to earlier but we'll, we'll we'll i'll sneak away and help uh get some times out because combine stuff is fun to me let's move on to baseball you guys want to talk about baseball teams eight no uh but you lose your ace for the season gonna have to go tommy johns i will uh defer to both of you to kind of carry the conversation please keep it under five minutes go i think i wrote it 
right after the surgery. It's, it's a comfort zone change for this team because then you're expecting everybody else to be slotted into a different and new and unusual role. You're banking on Cole Sands being an ace, and, and start number one went well. Drew Parrish becomes a guy who I think you can count on, um, and, and Austin Pollock has pitched well. It was a really good opening weekend for, um, for this new pitching staff. Losing Tyler Holton is a tremendous blow, however. I mean, he's a guy who is a difference maker, not just getting into the postseason, but winning game one, typically game two of a regional, getting you a, a game that's a victory in the Super Regional, the complexion of the team really changes. So for now, I, I guess I would say enjoy this team for what it is. It's still a very deep pitching staff. It's a rotation that can be very successful, I think. But if we start to analyze how deep this team can go in May or June, it's going to be an exercise in frustration on February 28th because there's just a lot of uncertainty as far as what this team can do. I walked in the year thinking they were a College World Series team. Losing Holton changes that to maybe their College World Series team. Certainly think they're capable of being, being a super regional team. Pitching-wise, Sands has special stuff. Sometimes it's questionable if he's going to have the best mental approach on the mound. I don't love him as a Friday guy, but the arm ability, he's best on the team as far as slinging it up there and throwing it up there. Drew Parrish, very good, very consistent. Austin Pollock early on shows some good signs. Love Andrew Carp. 12 innings into the season. He's been outstanding. He's a guy I easily think can be in the weekend rotation. And even on Friday, because I think he has the perfect approach when he steps on the mound. they got to figure out the back end. You know, Kobe, they're kind of grooving in there, but he's looked good so far. C.J. Van Eyck, very brief appearance, only one inning. But, man, he's got a pretty electric arm. Gage Hutchinson looks like an inning eater for them, can do a lot of stuff. They definitely want Clayton Kwiatkowski to be that kind of guy for them as well. So we'll see how that settles in. Tyler Ahern's and I got it. very limited view, but has kind of electric stuff to watch. And then Scalero, who pitched quite a bit last night against JU's and another inning eater. Definitely a guy I think they're going to use in that middle to closer role. I would love for them to find a closer role sooner rather than later. We'll see if they actually do that. I think they have some capable options at the position. Now at the plate, eh, I'm not in love with what they've done so far. I hate the approach, always have. That's not going to change. I'm not going to harp on it. It is what it is. J.C. Flowers looks drastically better. I believe he has four doubles already this year, equaling his total from last year. Guy with that kind of speed you want on base doing things. Truthfully, I think J.C. should be their leadoff man. I understand he doesn't take pitches as well as Selvi. That Selvi's going to give you a better look, work it a little bit more on base percentage, might be a little bit better. But J.C.'s a better hitter. He's a better player. I think he sets the table better. Um, the middle infield guys, Selvi and Bornegal, got to play better or you got to put Cooper Swanson in there, give him a shot. Cooper Swanson's shown the ability at the play with a couple appearances he's had there. I don't think glove work is going to be any worse than we've seen out of those two so far in the middle infield, especially Bornegal. always seemed to struggle quite a bit. Maybe he's just trying to settle in. I want to see how that plays out. And then guys like Cal, Drew Mendoza, Cal Raleigh, Drew Mendoza, and Jackson Luke need to be the players they are for this team to go somewhere. Brett Applin, Reese Albert's going to be kind of the supporting cast next guys up at the plate. But you need the big three guys to be your big three. Is it fair to, to say, I mean, obviously you don't want anyone to get injured, but because of the depth that they have in that, in that for it to happen now, at least you kind of configure some things out. That's, I mean, that's probably the silver lining of, of Holton getting lost on, on opening. Yeah, you're not, you're not 10 weeks into the season where he's giving you 10 great starts and you're like, man, this completely botches rotation. You're in the early part of the season where you're playing opponents. You should be able to overpower 
generally. Mm-hmm. So you're able to kind of, you know, figure it out on the go. So there is that benefit. But, man, Tyler's a great leader, great kid. He's still going to be around that program. I mean, he was there the next day after surgery in a sling. He's going to be a leader, but, man, on the field, I think he would have been great. Plus, he would have been an added bonus at the plate probably two days every week. Mm-hmm. Um, so you lose that. But I, I, they're still a very good team. They're not going to hit for a ton of power. I think so far they only have three home runs, which is towards the bottom of the league. But they're going to work walks. They're going to get on base. they got to run the bases more effectively. They had a few moments last night. Which harken back to John Sansone not knowing what to the hell what the hell to do when he reached second base. Um, so they got to figure those things out. The errors need to come down some. They've been kind of high so far, but there's enough positives that yeah, I definitely think they can compete in the upper echelon of the ACC. And if you can do that, you can compete with anybody in the country because the league's very good once again. They uh, they host UNC Asheville yep. this weekend. Uh, Asheville is where I'm having my bachelor party. So if anyone has any uh, suggestions for breweries or eats there. Hit me up. Um, let's go to hoops. They stand at nineteen and nine, uh, eight and eight in conference. Two games left. That's a nine p.m. tonight, Wednesday evening at Clemson. Comes pretty good. Uh, and Saturday, three p.m. at home, Boston College at Senior Day. You're kind of closing things out there. Uh, I think what's interesting, and Chris, I'll pass it on to you. If you said nineteen and nine going into the season, and you had a chance to finish out know, twenty and ten or whatever. Uh, would probably take that, right? But it's more the how they've gotten here that I think's gotten uh, a decent chunk of at least a vocal minority of the fan base frustrated. Well, they're not playing very good ball down the stretch. Mm-hmm. You expect a team to improve down the stretch, even if the opponents improve. You expect them to play better, more efficient basketball. They're simply not doing that. They mm-hmm. looked atrocious against Pitt in a victory, and they got their ass handed to them by Notre Dame and by NC State here recently. And there were points in those games, especially NC State, where the effort was questionable, even though Leonard wants to say it was not, and that they weren't very competitive. I mean, they went in the locker room at NC State dead. And I know they had the big comeback, 18 down against Clemson, so they've shown the capability of doing that. You can't survive being that kind of team. You have to be competitive for 40 minutes in ACC games, even against bad opponents like Pitt. You know, they were competitive for probably about 18 minutes that game, and they were lucky to walk away with a victory. Mm -hmm. Uh, Biggest issue for them right now, their two best players, in my opinion, Terrence Mann and Brian Angola, not playing anywhere near that caliber. Mm -hmm. Both have been kind of MIA. And then the point guard situation, I don't get why Trent's not starting. I know he's playing starter minutes here recently, but Trent gives them a much better all-round impact as a starting point guard over C.J. Walker. Plus, I think CJ as a sixth man off the bench would be far more valuable. Love the energy he brings. He's going to compete. He plays with a permanent chip on his shoulder. It's not a knock on CJ. I just think for getting in and out of things early in a game, they would be better off with Trent as their point. And then CJ has kind of the energy injection off the bench. Makes sense. And you can play him the same kind of minute you play him. I just think it's a matter of setting the pace and then having to change the pace guy. And I think flipping those two two roles would be pretty Mm -hmm. important. And they've also, they're so obsessed with the wild game, the Kamaji, and it, it drives me bizarre. They don't truly work for interior baskets, and you, you can't do that. You, you can't get cheapy baskets. That works against the crap opponents you play early in the season. It doesn't work against high-caliber opponents you're going to play in the ACC, the ACC tournament, the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. And Florida State is, look, they have, they have 19 wins. They could very easily have 21, 22 um, you lead by 17 at home against Louisville, and you end up losing that game. There's so many points of the season we could point to where they could add wins. But here's where they are. They are number 51 in the RPI. 
They have seven wins over top 60 RPI teams. That's the good thing. The bad thing is you have five losses to the top 50 RPI, so you didn't take advantage of some of those opportunities. For example, Virginia was a tight game. Uh, Louisville was the loss. NC State the other night. They have also losses to Notre Dame at 68, BC at 101, Wake at 142. Losing at Oklahoma State, that was down at Sunrise in December, they're 102. So you didn't maximize your opportunities to get some cheap wins, and you didn't finish off in the second half where you could have picked up a couple more in conference play. Florida State's stuck. they got to win one of these last two, preferably sneak this one out tonight and get BC. Again, I've been consistent all year. 21 wins is is your gold. You're in the tournament. They're at 19. They're probably going to finish with 20. They're going to have to go up to Brooklyn and get at least one, have a little bit of momentum. We've I think Jerry Palm has said consistently that how you finish the season isn't as important as it has been in the past. The selection committee doesn't look at, say, your last five, your last ten. Yeah. I do feel, however, that you can't go in losing all of your last three, four, five, whatever. You've got to show, you have to show a good resume, and your stars have to be playing better because that's part of your resume. It's it's who do I want to watch on the Florida State team. And right now I'm looking at Florida State, and, well, man's struggling, Angola's struggling. Trent Force is kind of the star all of a sudden. So this is a team really with a lot of question marks, influx, has to kind of put something together here in the last week or two. I think they need one more to be safe, two more they're solidly in. They're, in my opinion, sort of competing with Syracuse and, to some degree, Louisville for the last one to two ACC spots. ACC currently most project them to get ten. The reality is they probably end up only getting nine. And, you know, things can happen with the bubble with teams getting upset and whatnot in smaller conference tournaments. All of a sudden, that nine becomes eight. So you, you don't want to be hanging out in the eight, nine, ten department and leaving it up to mm-hmm. a group of humans to figure out whether or not you should be dancing. Kind of take care of your business. Miami did that last night, for example. Miami's resume was eh, kind of middle of the road. They went and beat UNC on senior night at UNC. They're in the tournament. Congrats. Yeah, you have to kind um, of stick the landing. Yeah, and just do it in a regular team. season because everybody's like, oh, conference tournament, how many do they need to win conference tournament? I, I'm a firm believer the committee does not give a flying you-know-what about conference tournaments. If you win your whole conference tournament, awesome. It's an automatic bid. If you compete and get in that championship game and compete with really good teams that should win the automatic bid, yeah, they might care. But the quarters and the semis, I don't think they watch them. Like, I, I legitimately don't think that matters in their viewpoint. I think your resume over a 30-game regular season matters much more than the three to four days you're playing in Brooklyn. All right. Good on hoops. We feel good about that? Yeah. Start Trent first, please, for the love of God. <laughs> it should have been done weeks ago, and like it's so abundantly clear at this point. <laughs> hey, people are asking that question. I just answered like five people. The reason, I have no clue what the hell the reason is for him not starting just, to answer that. I wish we could have like a picture of Chris as he thought about, start. he should start. Like uh, You can't make a good argument to me for why C.J. Walker should start over Trent first. And not solely because of how Trent's played in the last three, four outings. Trent's a better all-around basketball player who doesn't run with reckless abandon into the hole and get a charge or two every game at crucial moments creating an offensive turnover. C.J. Walker does seem like a, like a perfect spark guy. I mean, that's, yeah. that's My problem with C.J. Walker is the deficiencies, some of the deficiencies he had day one when he walked in here playing with reckless abandon on offense are still abundantly clear 60 games into his yeah. career, and that drives me bizarre. It's kind of probably who he is at this point. Yeah. Yep. All right. 
you guys had uh, had questions, we're going to answer them. We're already going on to like 47 minutes right now. Hey, if they're not listening, they're not listening. Yeah, man, we're, uh, let's go. My paycheck looks the same either way. Yeah, we don't really get paid <laughs> off of this. This is for you guys, and maybe you'll listen, maybe you won't. I don't know. Um, all right, let's start off. DC202 Null. Thoughts on Chris Winkie going to Tennessee? Each one of you guys, way too early predictions on a wide receiver rotation. On Winky, good for him. Build the resume. Good goes to work for some people that are good coaches, well connected. Mm-hmm. Kind of been um, a weird career path for him. Yeah, but Winky's personality is not a guy that you don't think of Winky if you know him and instantaneously think, man, he can coach anywhere. Like he's he's sort of a right fit kind of guy. He's mm-hmm. his personality is a bit uh cantankerous, I guess is a good word for it. He, he'll be he'll be an interesting fit with Jeremy Pruitt. But I think him and Pruitt have similar personalities in the sense they both will. They're grind. They're grinders. But they both work yeah, really hard. Yeah. No, you're right. So maybe maybe that works. I, uh, receiver rotation, man. Who knows? Spring's going to be interesting there with the lack of depth. I definitely think DJ Matthews is ready to make a big impact. I've been told that Nooney's done a very good job mm-hmm. in the recent chase he, and the he, workouts. He was probably more. Um, he's matured to some degree, well, I, which I, I, I'm I, not I, saying he's made this huge leap where he's a leader of men, <laughs> but he is taking things more seriously. I, I think when you talk about guys who could benefit from the change, he's right up there. Um, yeah. with, with just a guy who, him and Jimbo butt heads a lot. Uh, he, he's a guy that I think you need him just to kind of play freely and fast and let him just have fun. And then you maximize who Nooney is as a person and what his strengths are as a football player. And we saw that last year. He, he just seemed like he was handcuffed. Like yeah. even, even, was it the, uh, was it the NC, no, State game? Duke. Duke game. He got a, a big pass play downfield and didn't score on it. And Jimbo saying he needs to score. And he just, and this dude just wasn't used to playing fast. And he was, it just felt like he was not. Anyways, I think that's a good, a good, good change of scenery. Uh, benefits him as much as anyone. So yeah, we'll see Nooney. We'll see DJ Matthews. Big man on the outside to be determined. I mean, obviously I think Gavin has a shot, but you know, he's kind of got to do it before I buy into him doing he it. He needs some confidence. I think yeah. restoration, that could be where David Kelly does a good job of, of getting someone to believe, yeah. uh, believe in himself. Terry's a complete unknown beyond high school film. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we will see. Uh, I do think, you know, I mean, there's obviously there's a hole. There's a gap. Uh, you don't have a whole lot of options. George Campbell, we're not expecting to, to see in the spring. Uh, Devontae Campbell, or Devontae, um, Devontae oh my Phillips. God. Phillips, Jesus. Whew. Uh, when a guy's not on the team, you don't have to remember, remember his name. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't, we don't know that for sure yet, but we're pretty good in, in thinking he, he won't he's be. He's not currently in school, so we're pretty confident <laughs> yeah. on that one. You won't see him in the spring, and I doubt you'll see him uh, again in a Florida State uniform, guys. So you can stop asking about that, please. But once we get official word, we will let you know when a roster is released. Soon. There, Soon. Mm, <laughs> there is a huge, uh, to answer the question, it's tough to pick the wide receiver rotation. One, because it's not going to be as strict of a rotation as it has been in recent years. Two, because so many of those guys are coming in, Trayshawn Harrison, uh, are, are new. We don't know what they're going to be yet, but we're going to see, uh, I think, young guys incorporated into the lineup. We're going to see probably instead of it being, you know, four or five guys, probably you're going to see Plus, six or seven used. Are we going to see a guy like McKitty or a guy like Rizal kind of end up playing a role at times, like a and receiver slot, yeah. in this different system? So that's kind of one of those things that I'm interested in seeing yeah. this spring. The wide receiver rotation in the spring is going to be the four guys. So they yeah. have that are healthy. That's the rotation, man. Uh all right, CRW4OD, uh, would you puke if you had to do a chase workout tomorrow morning? No doubt. Yeah. I, 
I I live over by the Miccosukee Greenway and like I like to go for walks there sometime. I try to challenge myself two days ago and jog up the hill like five times. <laughs> I walked home, <laughs> laid down on the floor next to my dog, and then I woke up like thirty minutes later. I was, <laughs> I was so exhausted. I didn't throw up, but it wasn't a chase workout either. It was just just a you know a man entering his thirties that's a little out of shape and and not what it used to be. I wouldn't puke. I would dislocate my knee beforehand to not have to do it <laughs> dying before puking probably yeah yeah i, mean, yeah. I can pop that kneecap in and out real easy these days so i just go ahead and knock it out and be like coach i can't do it today <laughs> we have one reader asking about the boston college to get in the for the resume i, don't think, uh, we, I think it's enough but it it's very dependent upon what other people do mm-hmm. i mean it Win the next two, you're in. Win one of the next two, you're probably in. If you beat Clemson on the road, you're probably in more so than just beating BC at home. We have a recruiting question. No recruiting questions. Specified. Very, very, very early on in the thread. Uh, will, the, will the basketball team win a game in the NCAA or ACC tourney? Uh, I'm not sure. Depends on the matchup, but, I mean, I, my confidence level in this team being able to do anything in a postseason is non-existent. FSU 1995 wants to know why Ham doesn't start Trent Forrest. Already broke up. Calm down, buddy. He's going to throw up. He's going to throw up like he's doing a chase workout. Quentin C. has two questions. There we go. Ooh, Bob already uh, excited about this one. Which players and or position groups are you looking forward to seeing this spring? Uh, and which new coach is your favorite to interview? Well, funny you should ask. We will let you know when the assistant coaches have been made available for on-the-record interviews with the Florida State beat writers. I mean, hey, I'm 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 not working for the athletic just yet. I'm sure when I get fired, like in two years, I will. But you know, what's the athletic? Exactly. A little a little source of contention is that we would like to tell you guys stories, uh, more in-depth stories. And, and the, listen, the national media comes in. And does cool overviews of in-depth stories on, on Willie Taggart and gets to talk to assistant coaches, and that's neat, and there's certainly the place for it. Uh, I just wouldn't mind being able to share or having some access to where we are able to tell you similar stories or more in-depth or more of the nitty-gritty X's and O's stuff that won't you know be broached in a in a topic with uh, you know with a national media. It's just yeah. it's different and it's it's something that hasn't been made available. I get it's a transition period. I wasn't expecting it before National Signing Day because those guys were just in a full out sprint to finish that in time. But man, like there's some really thoughtful, smart coaches. Um some like a Walt Bell who wants to be a head coach. Harlan Barnett wants to be a head coach. David Kelly who's awesome to talk to. David Kelly should be a, should have been a head coach if the UCF stuff didn't where he was going to be a head coach. Um this- We've had the opportunity to meet members of the staff, mm-hmm. speak to them in differing amounts. There's a lot of impressive human beings who really enjoy talking football. You guys are going to enjoy Greg Fry and seeing him. Like he's yeah. going to he's they're bombastic personality. Yes, they're it's an interesting group. I thought Willie Tiger has done an excellent job putting together a staff that is equal parts experienced and energetic and just really diverse in in the different types of personalities that they have there in the in the type of resumes. Uh, but yeah, we would love to be able to talk to them. We haven't yet. It's frustrating. I think it'll come eventually. We'll be able to talk to them. Um, but to answer your question, Quentin, I don't know yet. I haven't been able to interview one. Uh, which players, uh, position groups are we looking forward to this spring? We mentioned wide receiver. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I think quarterback obviously stands out. You're not going to see a lot of DeAndre Francois, but uh, what steps does James Blackman make? We've heard good things about him and his progress. He's apparently added some weight. Uh, I think it was David Hale of VSPN who who talked to Coach Willie Taggart about that and said he's put on you know some ten pounds or so, which for that dude, 
Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, and obviously, I, I want to see what Bailey Ackman can do and how he fits in the new offense, whether there's a clean slate. Uh, so quarterback, to me, is with that new offense. It's something I want to watch really closely in the spring. I want to see how lethal simplicity impacts the O-line. Yeah, yeah, um, that makes sense. And if we, you know, kind of figure out that five fingers in the glove going north-south is the best idea. And then linebackers, because they seem to have a capable coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, linebackers was definitely mine. Honestly, I think you guys nailed it. I think it's those three. And look, spring isn't going to look great because of the lack of wide receivers, but let's let's just see enough maybe improvement and see how the scheme is starting to be implemented. It's going to be fun. All right. OZ5602 over now. FYFSU need a linebackers and offense with FSU in need of linebackers and offensive tackles. Who do you believe is the top recruit? Oh, we're not doing recruiting. We're not doing that recruiting show. You told today. me no math on this test. <laughs> how is FSU? Okay, this is from NC Knowles05. Uh, how is 2019 basketball recruiting going? We will talk about that. Chris, do you have that real quick? Because we don't really talk about basketball recruiting much. Yeah, they have one commitment. Zamif, I'm not going to pronounce his last name. Local kid from McClay School, small forward. Uh, all, oh, do it. Do it. N- Mokiji? I'm thinking the end's probably silent. Nukiji. But I'm not 100% sure. Um. You know, they're after quite a few guys. Trey Mann, who's a point guard from the Villages. Yes, the Villages, where the old people live. He is a guy that they like a lot. He's been up here before. Ashton Haggins. The Recently, from Georgia. We'll figure out what's up with him. He may become a 2018 kid. He may reclassify here. But he's a guy that FSU was in the thick wit when he committed to Georgia the first time. Now there's a boatload of teams in it. It's been kind of tough to get clarity on if FSU's really right back in the thick of it with him or not. Christian Brown's a talented kid. I was told by our Virginia Tech folks, he was on their campus uh, for the Duke upset here this week that at Virginia Tech, that he would come to FSU in Florida at some point in March. I talked to him a bit last night. He wasn't really sure on those plans, but said it was a possibility. But he's uber talented. He's one of the better players in the entire country. And then they're going to try to find a big man, but at this point, I couldn't tell you who that would be. A couple years ago, Blake Henson was a kid from Daytona area. He's now made a couple moves. I think he's in Wichita, Kansas, playing hoops. I don't know if he'll come back to the state, but he's a very talented big man. And then Balsa Kapravica is a kid that he's been on campus before, but his ties are some of the people caught up in the FBI probe. So I think his recruiting kind of got hit a reset button. I know Baylor's bringing him in here soon. I think he's Serbian. Um, he's definitely, you know, outside the U.S. type of guy. But uh, not clear on where FSU sits with him today. But that's a class where they're also trying to figure out how many numbers they're going to have. You know, you know they, they actually don't even know for 2018 right now how many numbers they have because it kind of is dependent on Phil Cofer getting an additional year or not. So they're still kind of in a transition with that. But at this point, one commitment, I think it's likely they sign at least three, maybe up to four or five. But exactly who they want is not real clear. I think the evaluation period that comes after March, after March Madness, will kind of clear up that picture with them some. Riveting. Thank you, Chris. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hoops recruiting is kind of a weird thing right now because it, a lot of teams are always kind of, it's you know, line changes with recruiting for Hoops mm-hmm. now because so many teams are losing a lot of guys or bringing in transfers. FSU actually has a boatload of stability. There's a possibility that next year they literally bring back all but two players on the current right. roster. Yeah. Brandon Allen, who's not on scholarship, and uh, Brian and Gola are the only ones that are a certainty to depart. Phil Cofer may. We'll see how that plays out. So there's a whole lot of stability, and when there's stability, it kind of impacts not the next class, but the class following it because you're trying to figure out how your roster's going to change. Obviously, you know, seniors are outgoing. 
But beyond that, like MJ Walker, for example, mm-hmm. how long will MJ Walker wear guarding goal? Yeah, yeah, that's sort of two one years. Yeah, trying three. to figure out for that class. All right, we have a question asking about Holton. Uh, we kind of went over that in the rotation. We don't even need to rehash it. Well, to answer it real quick, he asked about midweek starters. Mm-hmm. Andrew Carp currently is your ace on the midweek. They haven't really settled in on the next guy up. You know, if I was taking a shot at it, I would probably say maybe Van Eyck would get a shot, but I don't know if he's more bullpen option for them. We've heard him talk about both ways. Um, I don't think Clayton or Gage would be that. I think they're certainly bullpen type guys. Maybe Kobe, but I know they're trying to groove him in and not overdo it with him coming off surgery. But Kobe's looked very good. He has been a starter in the past. So we'll kind of we'll have to see. I think that second spot after Carp is very much to be determined. I think even the staff would probably tell you that's how they're treating it currently. And they don't play a Wednesday game until next week. Yeah. Kansas is a 1 o'clock next Wednesday. So they will have to figure out something, but who knows right yeah. now. And it truthfully could be a guy who is a middle relief type and they kind of just piece together a game. They've done that in the past where they'll have one guy throw three innings and another guy throw three innings and then, you know, 1-1-1 one, 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 or 2-1, something for the back end. So you'll see four or five arms on a Wednesday. Potentially could be Will Zierzow as he comes back. Does he get yeah. a, a short three, four inning start type of thing? The last thing I heard with Will is that it's probably more like the ACC schedule as far as time frame for him. Ed Boyles is a possibility to come back during the year as well, but no specific time frame with him. All right, let's. Uh, <laughs> all right, Gibbs uh, 80 has thoughts on Coward. I'm assuming Colin Coward yeah. uh, said about knowing of an SEC team playing recruits, thoughts in general on teams paying recruits. Well, one, I didn't hear it. I didn't listen to Colin Coward anymore, yeah, thankfully. Uh, two, yeah, okay, Mr. SEC sources, I'm sure Colin Coward. Uh, but listen, it's college football, college basketball, like, uh, tale as old as time, man. Like, they, they people pay recruits that's and it's changed the way the way it goes now I, mean, I think a lot of it's through runners and and uh seven on no not seven on no let's just say just people on the periphery of a, of a player and that's yeah. how the money gets funneled to them and it's not always just straight cash homie sometimes yeah. it's hey mom jobs new job mm-hmm. you know things like that there's ways to work around in the gray area it, it, it's funny to, to me like it, it, i don't give a crap the good about thing for it college football is that the fbi is not pro <laughs> yeah because if they wanted this to this isn't some new occurrence in no. college basketball no, this is. It's just a matter of damn it, the FBI got involved and they actually have some power on like the NCA. So here we go. Well, look, at, listen to Dan Lepetard on ESPN the other day, and he was saying like theorizing like, do you think these guys even knew what they were doing was illegal? Not in the context of the NCAA, because obviously it is, but like illegal, well, like to where uh, FBI was going to start probing them. I, I don't know who said it, but essentially, what the agency, I think, it was, was it ASM? Is that I can't remember the specific agency, but the agency that they raided got the paper trail that Yahoo's very much been pouncing mm-hmm. on. If you look at what they're doing, a whole lot of it's like essentially the idea of an official visit for mm-hmm. these guys. They're just doing it when they're high schoolers, and then they're you know acting as a middleman to funnel them somewhere that's going to keep that relationship active. Is it illegal? Hell yes, it is. Has it been happening for a long time? Yeah, I think it has. I mean, it, the only difference is it's not the cover of SI with a shoebox of money. Mm-hmm. You know, in football... To me, it only happens when, like, the, the new girl to the dance kind of comes in and everyone else is like, no, 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 Ole Miss starts all yeah, of a sudden. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a girl named Ole Miss. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Miss Miss, Miss Ole Miss. Uh, yeah, as soon as someone new to the picture kind of arrives at the big boy table, and the, everyone freaks out. A radio host jumping out, oh, I know SEC paid. Well, no shit. There's literally <laughs> NCAA documentation of attempted payments for players. Cam Newton's a perfect example. <laughs> this isn't some revelation that's shocking to me. 
Kong Coward. Uh, let's see. THC. Oh, Chris, this was for you. Please don't spend more than 20 seconds on it. Can we get some track recruiting updates? Really hard to keep up with that stuff. Truthfully, I need to just ask uh, Bob Thomas, who covers track and field for Florida State. He's the SID for it. He's kind of my go-to for track and field information. I, I have a arbitrary interest in it. I keep up with it a little bit here and there, but I don't have like an in-depth knowledge of it. So he's See, the type, it, it, he'll usually tell me, oh, yeah, they're bringing in, like, number one Juco sprinter or something like that. He's great at telling me that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But I've not had that conversation about future incoming recruits for them. All right, let's go down to Chuck Knoll 1-1. Are we getting some new football uniforms next season, or are we going to mix and match our current uniforms? And how about a special uni for the Seminole Tribe like B-Ball does? It was like the turquoise? Yeah, they do the Nike. I think it's N7 is the logo. I don't think you'll see that for football. I think there would be a lot of pitchforks out if that happened for football. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about new uniforms specifically. Definitely think there's going to be some different looking combos, and some of them may appear new, but they've actually been in the wardrobe closet for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will at least be mixing and matching, right? I mean, that's yeah, that's the baseline on it. So, um, another question from OZ five six zero two shotgun approach. How many more players do you expect to leave the program uh, before uh, fall camp? I mean, there's going to be a, a little bit more attrition. I'm I'm pretty confident. I can't give you a number. Uh, I. Right now they're underneath the scholarship limit. They're fine. So it's not like they need to run guys off. Uh, but I think you're going to see guys that just don't have much value to the program or just decide they don't really fit in. Uh, I'm going to assume it's going to be more upperclassmen. I don't want to throw out names of guys, but, but I think there's going to be guys who haven't contributed much. Uh, and if, if you follow along, like you know who we're talking about, guys who've never really played, um, that could probably will probably just naturally, organically get, get weeded out. Is that there's fair? a chance some guys could either graduate in the spring or be close enough to a degree where they can grad transfer, or maybe they're just not fitting in with the next coaching staff and mm-hmm. it's time for them to go. I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to name a name now, especially because they lost you know five or six through the transfer route and, and the attrition mm-hmm. that we talked about earlier. We'll see. I think there could be a couple more, but like you said, they don't need to run anyone off for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I yeah I'll, I'll take two to three with a boneheaded one thrown in, so three to four. All right, that, that, I think three would be a good betting line for that if we had to put it on. Um, FSU Bone. All right, three uh, three questions here. With kind of like one of them has a period at the end, so it's not really a question. But best and worst football record this year, so I guess your best case, worst case scenario. Dance for us. Uh, does Mike uh, Martin hang up, hang him up after this season? And when he does, <laughs> do we hire someone outside of his family? And do you think FSU B-Ball should turn the page from him? Ooh, all the hot-button topics. Jeez. These three questions are like a podcast in itself. Yeah, man. Um, no, FSU shouldn't turn the page on from him. You know why? Because he wins at a program that doesn't invest very much into its basketball program comparatively to ACC. People that think that Leonard Hamilton should be run out don't know what they're talking about with basketball. Well, the thing with him is if you were going to do it, it should have been what, a couple years, years ago, ago now. Yeah. That was your opportunity. Yeah. Gone dry for four it years. Been 20 games with a team is. that probably should have won 15. Like, uh, uh, I like Leonard. I like a lot of people in that building, personally. Mm-hmm. I'm game for whatever's next. Not necessarily will be better. I'm just ready to see what is next. I think that's Leonard's fair. done a great job of stabilizing the program, but it's sort of at a good point. That's a plateau point at mm-hmm. the same time. I'm interested to see if you made the right hire, if it could take the next step. You know, I think Kevin Keats, for example, was a great hire at NC State. Somebody of that caliber, I'd be interested to see. But... I, I, I just I also, don't know why I'm, people I'm want to ultra, run out of town. I'm very realistic about how FSU basketball fits into the uh, landscape of Florida State sports. Yeah. And, like, I, it, he's not getting fired. No. Even, I, if, I, even if they choke it away and don't make the tournament this year, 
he's not getting fired. And I mean, listen, there's a cap on how much longer he's going to be around. No, I don't know. He's uh, aging backwards. Have you looked at him? How, how, how old is he? Is he? He's Benjamin Button. Uh, it has it has been a rough year for Leonard health wise. He's, yeah, he had the kidney stones, and then he was sick as a dog last week. Almost didn't travel mm-hmm. to the NC State game, so he's had a rough year in that regard. But uh, it is what it is. Like. It, I understand the frustration with Leonard. I'm frustrated at times with Leonard. I'm frustrated with what I see with the FSU basketball product. But the the vocal minority is of that group. There's not a whole there's a whole lot of people that just don't care about FSU hoops and never have. Yeah. Or at least haven't in, you know, two plus decades. I think realistically you ask for two things from a Florida State basketball coach. One, the team, the product has to be fun to watch. Get some butts in the seats, get some excitement. Number two, make the NCAA tournament say six or seven out of every ten years. Roughly, you're not going to make it every year at Florida State. That's unrealistic. The problem is he went through gaps like between NCAA tournament appearances, and now it's like, well, he has to make it to make up for missing it in the past. Yeah. So you go from 2012 to 2017, now everybody wants it in 2018. He's got to kind of make this more of a consistent march push instead of an occasional march push. The one thing that I will say that always kind of confused me was – how little they capitalize off their NCAA tournament run. Was it back in... What? You mean the ACC tournament championship? That, but then they had the Sweet 16, too, right? Uh, uh, when was that? Against Notre Dame. No, no, no. Why are you asking me history questions? I, I mean, they lost in the second round after that ACC tournament. Yeah, that year disappointed in the NCAA tournament, but was it the year before or the year after that they actually had a good run? It was the year before? I think it might have been the year before. Because that, that ACC championship team had, I believe, 16 years. So that was kind of the one where they had built to that point. Like they mm-hmm. winning the ACC tournament was a surprise because FSU doesn't win the ACC tournament. But like if you look at the com- composure, or I'm sorry, not composure, composition of that team, it was clear why they were in that position to be good. So they followed it up with a recruiting class. At least was the Bojo and Ojo, mm-hmm. right? Right, Devin Booker. I mean, it just was not a. There was a gap, and I think that's where a lot of well, you had a couple years where Monte Brandon was supposed to be your star, and that didn't Monte happen. playing hoops was brutal to watch. Who's the then they from? changed the style and went and got a couple NBA lottery pick type towns, and they've improved the product. Yep. But it it's sort of a it is what it is situation with hoops. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds super simplistic, but we're two almost two decades into Leonard Hamilton mm-hmm. being the coach. You know where you're getting. Yep. Like when you buy a ticket, if you've been there before. It might look a little different. It might be better offensively, worse defensively. But in general, the outcome of what you're getting over a 30-game season, it's pretty easy to predict these days. It's If you had me right on paper going in the year what they would have been, I would have said 20-10, and 9-9. And they're probably going to end up being 20-10, yeah. and 9-9. And it's been painful at times to get there, but it is what they are. Sweet 16 in 2011. Lost in the second round, 2012 yeah. and 2017. So we're talking about three appearances since 2011. This would be four, if they make it. Yeah. Just be careful what you wish for, is all I'm saying, with, with, with hoops sometimes. I am sure. excited to see what's next. Yeah. And that's somewhat a credit to Leonard and those within and around the program of improving what it was. I remember the Steve Robinson years, and that's living way in the past, but it was dreadful. I mean, they were, they were garbage. They were BC bad with Olivier Hanlon bad. I mean, and they didn't have a player like Hanlon at times, even though Delvon Arrington was fun to watch. All right, let's uh, going back to the Mike Martin uh, nepotism question. I I don't know at this point. I talked to different people on that, and there's people that are steadfast that yes, Martin Jr. will be the next coach, and there's people that are steadfast that no, definitely won't happen. And I'm leaning truthfully more towards the direction of it. It's not going to happen, but mm-hmm. I can't say with any definitiveness. 
Same thing. It's it's hard. If you were betting money today, I think you'd put more money on the side of Martin Jr. getting the job. My only question with the next baseball coach is you're looking for certain things like can he grow the program? Can he recruit the state of Florida, Atlanta, South Georgia? Mm-hmm. That's where you're going to have to recruit. Can he improve the facilities? Is he going to be a, a fundraiser type mm-hmm. in addition to a baseball coach developer of talent? I, I think Mike Martin Jr. fits a lot of those qualities, and that's what makes it hard for me to immediately say, well, dismiss him and, and move past him. He's obviously getting an interview, but the question is then, who are the other candidates who are available to you as Florida State? I, uh, I'm i a big Greg Love lady fan. I know he's a former Miami player, so that sounds kind of crazy, but I, mean, I was impressed with him coaching UCF. He's a passionate young dude. He did a really good job at Wright State before he got to UCF. I think he'd be interesting to watch UCF. UCF, I promise you. He's Golden Knights. No. Dawkins is is the the head coach. Baseball. Oh, sorry. I'm facing out. I haven't been paying attention for the last five minutes. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, you just completely went. Man, in all fairness, we're on hour 12 or one hour and 12 minutes here. Have you been drinking this morning? What was in your coffee? I should have been drinking. Irish coffee? Ooh. And then, uh, uh, what is it, Merville Menendez is another guy I've heard thrown around as a name. So I think it will be interesting to see what they do next. I, I'm not entirely convinced it's me. Best and worst case scenario for, for football, this is something we tended <laughs> to like, do like Bob in, is just in push, August. Push me out. <laughs> but, but what do we, what do we think? Worst What's, case scenario? Well, who knows? I mean, if, well, if we, it feels horribly, 7-5. I was going to say before, uh, the record on a curve here because the schedule, man, is, is not easy. No. Uh, but it's they got Virginia Tech to open it up. Like they're having to figure some things out, but that's a good program. Sometimes when a team loses the first game of the season, everything goes bad. Sweeps you away like a hurricane. Thought you processed them. Mm-hmm. No, he hasn't. He, he has not him. processed them. I, that was last season as a whole. <laughs> um, no, it's a really difficult schedule. You got to go up to Notre Dame. Uh, and obviously, you have Clemson and Florida on there. Uh, it's it's a tough draw for them, and I think that's something that you have to kind of put in the context even before you enter the season. Uh, I don't know if national championship aspirations are anything we should be discussing right now. Plus, the talent on the roster uh, is kind of circling through right now, uh, and I think they're kind of in between with with still some de- developmental guys. Like that 2016 class was a lot of developmental guys, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head. That was, uh, yeah, that was... Uh, Fabian Johnson and Landon Dickerson and Janarius Robinson, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that's a lot of guys that trench guys that need a little bit of time to, to develop. So you're kind of seeing whether they uh, hit their stride. And it's just not a lot of talent right now. Uh, I think some younger guys, you know, they've recruited well. Like the, the last year's freshman class with Stanford Samuels, Joshua Kando, Marvin Wilson. Those are names. Uh, Hampson Nazarene that could emerge, but you're probably a year away from them being true blue blood type of college football players that they yeah, develop correctly. I, I think you think Kando, they're here now? I think Kando's ready. We'll see. He had four sacks. We'll, we'll sa- he, he, he had four sacks last praised. year and all four were against uh, the worst FCS team yeah, in the country. I'm, I'm just saying. He can play ball. Oh, that's no doubt about it. I'm just saying I don't know whether I'm ready to say that that's a guy who's going to propel you to I was more impressed run. watching Josh Kando play football last year consistently when he had reps mm-hmm. than Joshua Sweat. Well, yeah. I mean, the one thing that Joshua Kanda does is he looks like he's giving full effort all the time. I'm not sure. I really like the mindset of those younger guys. I think they're hungry. I think they showed that last year that they hadn't checked out like some of the older guys. 
that with the new staff is good. I, I'm just saying I, I don't think that the talent is what it. I don't think the talent level is championship caliber this year. I think you get. Or you like the veteran. That's what I'm saying. Is there, the there's a gap like there where your best players or your most talented players but are underclassmen, probably. To flash back to 13, I think a lot of people felt like 14 was the year they were building to, and then it all happened yeah, in 13. You could have surprised. So sometimes it comes earlier than expected. I'm just but I'm not predicting championships. <laughs> I'm, I'm going ultra, like middle of the road. I think I said eight and four on an earlier podcast. Bottom for me would be like seven and five. Top would be like ten and two. I, those are the numbers I was going to have, Chris. Yeah. I think there's potential that. The problem is Clemson brings back everybody on defense again. So That's I, could they make the conference crazy. championship game? Well, sure, if if you get past Clemson, it's always a story. I think this team could win a division title. You know, beyond that, there's there's a lot of questions. I think I think nine and three is probably realistic. What was lower low? I still I still keep coming back to like how does how does a four state roster only win seven games? Like real, it happened last year. But how does did this you happen? see the Independence Bowl? Never forget. <laughs> Thanks, Chris, for going to that instead of me having to go. <laughs> oh, I had a great time, except for I came back and thought I was on the verge of dying from a cold I contracted. Oh, so sad. Are we still talking about uh, UCF the, baseball? There was a livestock cage right beside the Independence Bowl. And literally, I got back and was so sick that I was dreaming one night. And you ever seen the movie Contagion? No. Never seen Contagion? It was a... I think Ewan McGregor was in it. It was basically about, like... Bird flu and swine flu mixing together, becoming this thing that kills off like a twelfth of the human population, or one out of every twelve in the human population. So I'm sitting there like, did I pick something up from like a bat at the game? Anyways, I'll I'll stop on that. I know I'm getting off topic, but literally I was sick as they come. Like I, I got back, did Christmas with wife and the kids, and disappeared for like three days because I was so sick after the Independence Bowl. The walk-ons Independence Bowl. It was so cold. <laughs> It was cold and windy. It was brutal. It was. Uh, I wish it upon nobody. I'd never want to go back. Hey, but at least they made it worth your while. You were able to talk to the same amount of people that anyone that just watched the press conference talked to. So, good job there. Time, money, well spent. And with that, I'm going to just... The last question was about basketball recruiting for 2018. I don't want to talk about basketball recruiting anymore. We have Devin Basil is currently the only commitment for that class. We'll see if they add another one. Phil Kofer's future probably is pretty heavy leaning on. You know, whether or not there's a late ad. At this point, there's nobody I can directly point to and say that's the guy that FSU's going after. I think it's going to be sort of like a P.J. Savoy situation, if you remember that, where they kind of found him late. Not a whole lot of people knew about him. Mm-hmm. Snagged him. All right. Uh, we are at one hour, 17 minutes. This has been a marathon. I checked out at about the 110 mark. So hopefully you guys listen <laughs> to when we were talking about baseball and you brought up the basketball coach from UCF that, that moment? John Dawkins isn't bad. Well, I brought up Contagion. I'm expecting tens and tens of people to go watch it now. I don't think so. I don't think anyone's going to watch it. Guys, thank you for listening to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This went longer than we expected, but I think there was some good information sprinkled in with some fun. Um, That's kind of what the whole deal is here. We don't want to take ourselves too seriously. You can go ahead and and read many of the hundreds of articles that we we produce a month if if you want to do that. This is for fun. Uh, If you have time, go ahead and give us a five-star review on iTunes. That'll help with the popularity of our... Um, meandering, droning, long podcast. Downvotes known on the website. No, don't downvote me. I'm moving up. I'm 96. I'm almost at Bob's uh, level. He, um, I'm going for the top. Bye, everyone. <laughs>